Hare Krishna, Vanshakalpatrubhyascha, Kripa Sindhu Bhyebacha, Patitanam Bhavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo, Namo Namaha. So welcome to our study of uh, Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, we're starting over again, having gone to the 11th and 12th cantos, and now we're back on Canto 1, Chapter 1, Verse 1. Well, now the little preliminary stuff. Um, but before we begin, we'll say like this, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Actually, you'll see that Prabhupada actually comments on that part <laughs> in the very beginning uh, of this. But uh, first... Uh, here in the original Bhagavatam that Prabhupada uh, translated in India and brought over, this is a facsimile. Now, I have some of the originals, but somebody did make a facsimile of the League of Devotees edition of this. And we already read uh, uh, the preface. And there's something in here that uh, you won't, s that's somehow not carried over into the new Bhagavatam that was published in America, uh, and there's what they uh, what what Prabhupada calls the motto. Uh, just uh, occupies one simple page. You see the little print, the motto. Uh, and it says, "It is admitted, even in higher circles, that in fact the whole root and background of Indian culture." is wrapped in the Sanskrit language. And we know that the foreign invaders of India could break down some of the uh, monumental architectural work to India, the work in India, but they were unable to break up the perfect ideals of human civilization so far kept hidden within the Sanskrit language of Vedic wisdom. Srimad Bhagavatam, and, and again, it's interesting that that's in boldface and it's spelled B-H-A-G-W-A-T-A-M, you know. So all that's been, you know, normalized. Srimad <laughs> Bhagavatam is the mature, ripened fruit of the Vedic tree, of the tree of Vedic literature, and then in parentheses, PP66. Page six, pages 66, it should be just one P, but actually PP means more than one page. We have just begun to give it rendered into English with broader outlook, and it is the duty of the leading Indias to spread the culture all over the world at this momentous hour of need. So this was Prabhupada's original appeal to, to Indians, especially those that knew English. English, they say English knowing Indians <laughs> in that time. So, and in this book, by the way, uh, you, you see uh, in the beginning, there's a Prabhupada did not have in the original, because he published these chapters in, in his, his magazine. Uh, and uh, 
he left out the Sanskrit in the Devanagari Sanskrit and just had a transliteration. And then uh, at the beginning, as you say, uh, there it says, Srimad Bhagavatam, original Sanskrit text of the first chapter. And he's this footnote, a star, asterisk. By the request of some scholars and librarians, the original shlokas are also inserted. The suggestions by the scholars were received late after printing of the first chapter and thus they are inserted here with page marks where they are explained. So here you have the, you can see here, you can see the, uh, if you can see this, is the, this, uh, and then the rest of the chapters they have the Devanagari Sanskrit, this is the original cover here. So, uh, uh, and this is what uh, I'm especially, especially fond of this because uh, when I first read Bhagavatam, uh, the f first thing that was available were the BBT printing the second canto in little one volume, uh, one little volumes of each chapter, a separate volume, a little paperback. And that's how I read it, and I didn't get to read the first canto until I moved into the temple and they had these original ones there. And I saved some of the, I saved the original ones we had, but, but uh, and, and, and so I read the original and, and that's where you, where Prabhupada's voice comes through quite clearly, even though the, it isn't, it, it's what the British called Babu English. It's the kind of English that Indians would speak to each other uh, who who knew English, as they said, English knowing <laughs> Indians, you know, it's a kind of interesting language. So, um, then Prabhupada's introduction to this, now most of the introduction he's just telling the story of Lord Chaitanya. And I won't read that part, but uh, uh, but the introduction begins with something I think is really important to understand. He says uh, in the introduction, the conception of God and the conception of the absolute truth are not on the same level. Srimad Bhagwat hits on the target of the absolute truth. A and Absolute Truth is capitalized, by the way, the capital A, capital T, and he does that throughout. It's all been, you know, normalized. Conception of God means the controller, whereas the conception of Absolute Truth means the sumum bonum, that's in bold-faced. Of course, that's, that's the Latin highest good, the sumum bonum, or ultimate source of all energies. Uh, now, well, let me just read this. No, let me, that, that first sentence is really important <laughs> in a way because the idea of God and the idea of the absolute truth. Because he, he says, uh, there is no two opinions about the personal feature of God because he is the controller. A controller cannot be impersonal feature. Modernized government, especially democratic government, is impersonal to some extent. 
But at the ultimate issue, the chief executive head is a person, and the impersonal feature of government becomes subordinate to such a personal feature of the government. So whenever we speak of something of control over others, we must bring in the personal feature without any doubt. There may be many gods because there are different controllers in the different parts of management. According to the statement of the Bhagavad Gita, any controller who has got some special power extraordinary than others, this two words extraordinary than others, is called a bibhutimat sattva or controller empowered by the Lord. There are many bibhutimat sattvas, controllers or gods with different specific powers, but the absolute truth is one without a second and the Srimad Bhagavatam designates the absolute truth or the sumam bonum as the param satyam. So this is the interesting, see, uh, there can be many, in principle there can be many gods, and you can have one supreme god, but the absolute in principle is there's only one thing, because absolute means not related to anything else, one without a second, that besides which there is no second thing. Uh, uh, and, 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 and so, this, that means if there's, if there's a God and there's a world, then there's two things. So that's why the Maya bodies, when they deal with the absolute truth, say, oh, there's no world. It doesn't exist. There's only one thing. and It's just an illusory superimposition. Uh, but uh, here the absolute truth means Krishna includes his energies. So there's God and the world, but ultimately God and his energies are one thing. And Prabhupada in, in, in the Bhagavad Gita commentary says things like this, nothing is different from Krishna, yet Krishna is different from everything. Now, I memorized that early on, and I just repeated it to myself over and over again. Nothing is different from Krishna, yet Krishna is different from everything. Or in another place, Prabhupada says, there's nothing but Sri Krishna, yet nothing is Sri Krishna save and except his original personality, spiritual personality. So God both transcends the world and he includes it. That's, that's the idea. So, you know, you think of God in the world as different or not including or separate from the world. That's not quite true. So this is why it's important to understand this idea of the absolute truth. Uh, 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 and so the, the first beginning of the Vedanta Sutra, Atato Brahma Gignasa, now there should be inquiry into Brahman. Brahman is Janma uh, that from which everything comes. That's the definition of Brahman. And then Shankaracharya very much says, actually nothing comes from Brahman <laughs> because he has no energies. <laughs> That's the illusor. Brahman is one without a second. So yeah, there's only one. 
so that that's that's a Prabhupada calls it somewhere a a a, a lax uh, idea of the absolute truth, not quite understanding it, one without a second. Yeah, that's true. That's true, but also includes the many. The one that includes the many doesn't exclude it. So the the whole absolute is Krishna and Krishna's energies. And so anyway. So Prabhupada makes that point from the very beginning of this, this introduction that uh, that he's the, of, of the idea of the absolute truth and the conception of God and conception of the absolute truth. Uh, so he says here in the in this. Uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, i.e., the author of the book at first, offers his respectful obeisances under the Param Satyam. Uh, Param Satyam means the highest good, you could say, or the highest truth. Uh, and because the Param Satyam is the ultimate source of all energies, the Param Satyam is the supreme person. The gods or the controllers are undoubtedly persons, but the param satyam from whom the gods and so etc. derive powers of control is also a person and is the supreme person. The Sanskrit word Ishwara conveys the import of God. Ishwara means controller. The Sanskrit word Ishwara conveys the import of God, but the Supreme Person is called the Paramishwara, or the Supreme Ishwara. The Supreme Person, or Paramishwara, is the Supreme Conscious Personality, and because he does not derive any power from any other source, therefore he is the supremely independent. In the Vedic literature, Brahma is described as the supreme god or the head of all other gods like Indra, Chandra, Varuna, etc. But the supreme, but the Srimad Bhagwat affirms that even Brahma is not independent in the matter of his power and knowledge. He received knowledge or the Vedas from the supreme person who resides within the heart. And he has a footnote citing Bhagavad Gita 15.15 of every living being. That supreme personality knows everything directly and indirectly. Individual, infinitesimal persons who are parts and parcels of the supreme personality may know directly and indirectly everything about their personal body or external features but the Supreme Personality knows everything perfectly well, both about his external and internal features. <laughs> it goes on, the words Janmadasya suggest the source of all production, maintenance, and destruction is the same Supreme Conscious Person. Even in our previous present experience, we cannot, we can know nothing, excuse me, even in our present experience, we can know that nothing is generated from inert matter. 
but inert matter can be generated from living entity. By contact of the living entity, the material body develops into a working machine. Man with poor fund of knowledge mistakes the bodily machinery as the living being, but in the but the fact is that the living being as he is is the basis of the bodily machine. The bodily machine is useless as soon as the living spark is away from it. As such, the original source of all material energy is the Supreme Person. This fact is expressed in all the Vedic literatures and all exponents of spiritual science have accepted this truth. The living force is called, in other words, as Brahman, and one of the greatest Acharyas, namely, Sripad Shankaracharya has preached that Brahman is substance while the cosmic world is category. The original source of all energies being the living force, this has with a capital L for living, and he is logically accepted as the Supreme Person. Therefore, he is fully conscious of everything past, present, and future, and also each and every corner of his creative manifestation, both material and spiritual. An imperfect living being does not know even what is happening within the physiological condition of his personal body. He eats his foodstuff but does not know perfectly as to how the foodstuff transforms into vitamins specifically for a particular constitution of his own body. Now if you think of this, say I want to lift my hand, I lift my hand and you ask me, how did you do that? And I have not got the faintest idea. <laughs> I just know I can do it. Far out, huh? <laughs> how did that happen? Who runs the body? It's not me. I don't know how. <laughs> Pretty interesting. <laughs> Perfection of a living being means awareness of everything that happens. And the Supreme Person being all perfect is quite natural for him that he knows everything in all details. As such, the perfect personality is addressed in the Srimad Bhagavatam as Vasudeva, or one who lives everywhere in full consciousness and in full capacity of his complete energy. The whole thing is clearly explained in, Srimad, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, and the reader will have ample opportunity to study them in all critical ways. In the modern age, Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Preach the cult of Srimad Bhagavatam by practical demonstration. It is easier, therefore, to penetrate into the topics of the Srimad Bhagavatam through the medium of Sri Chaitanya's causeless mercy. Could we need some help? <laughs> His merciful short sketch life and precepts are also inserted herewith for specific understanding of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So that, therefore you have a whole uh, survey in the big, this introduction, the story of Lord Chaitanya. 
this will help the reader to perfectly, they help the reader perfectly to understand the real merit of Srimad Bhagavatam. Then he goes on. It is imperative that one should learn Srimad Bhagavatam from the person Bhagavatam. So it's interesting, when this book arrived on our shores, it was accompanied by Srila Prabhupada. (laughs) The two came together. The person Bhagavatam is one whose very life is practical, Srimad Bhagavatam. Sri Techanya Mahaprabhu being the absolute personality of Godhead, he is both Bhagwan and Bhagavatam in person and in sound. And his process of of approach of the Srimad Bhagavatam is therefore practical for all people of the world. He wanted it and ordered his followers that the cult of Srimad Bhagavatam shall be preached in every nook and corner of the world by everyone who happens to take his birth in India. Srimad Bhagavatam is the science of Krishna, the absolute personality of Godhead, and as much we have preliminary information from the text of the Bhagavad Gita. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that everyone it does not matter what he is, who is well-versed in the science of Krishna, Srimad Bhagavatam, and for that matter of that, Srimad Bhagavad Gita, can become an authorized preacher or preceptor in the science of Krishna. There is need of the science of Krishna in the human society for the suffering humanity of the world and we would simply request the leading personalities of all nations to take some information of the science of Krishna for their own good, for the good of the society, and for the good of all people in the world. And then he says, and it's in parentheses here in italics, a short life sketch and teachings of Lord Chaitanya, the preacher of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, this is like very far out, you know. <laughs> and here Prabhupada uses this word science uh, uh, because it gives knowledge. Uh, Bhagavad Gita says pratyaksha, direct perception of the absolute truth. But that's why we have to see that the process we undergo of chanting Hare Krishna and uh, uh, by that chanting, what happens is that you will see, you can easily, will, you easily identify the modes of nature. What is the mode of passion? What is the mode of goodness? What is the mode of ignorance? And by chanting Hare Krishna, you should see these things, the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance, go down. And the mode of goodness becomes prevalent and then there can be start to begin actual knowledge. So it's a science in the sense that you have to, first of all, you have to make yourself, <laughs> you can't just do funny things to animals in cages. You know? <laughs> this science, you have to do it to yourself. 
uh, and, and, and you, have, you have to, to, to purify the mind. Uh, and by that, as the mind becomes purified by hearing, chanting, and processes of bhakti yoga, you can get pratyaksha avagamam. This word is in Bhagavad Gita. Pratyaksha means right in front of your eyes. Uh, direct perception. Not only of oneself as a spiritual being, but of the Supreme Spirit. All these things become knowable. If you don't follow this procedure, you won't know. If you, if you go into a chem lab and want to do some chemistry experiment to get a result, you have to follow the procedure. If your test tubes are dirty, if you use the wrong, uh, wrong amounts of stuff, it doesn't work. <laughs> you, know? you have to follow the procedure. So this is why Prabhupada calls this a science of self-realization. And people have objected to that because they, it's a science where you, you, know, you have, to, have to do it on yourself. And they don't want to. Our science is in the service of the mode of passion, mostly. Uh, our standard of it, Prabhupada points out, the, the standard of advancement of modern civilization is the standard of the mode of passion. More money, more prestige, more fame. This is all the, the mode of passion. The result of mode of passion, we also learn from the same text, is misery. <laughs> because the mode of passion increases your desires and your what you want to do without limit, and you keep running into barriers. <laughs> you have to stop somewhere. And then you become frustrated because you can't get what you want, and therefore, one of the results of this the results of this frustration is mode of ignorance, which means either intoxication, blotting things out, opioid addictions, for example, or insanity, <laughs> where you don't see reality anymore. So you can have this inflated idea of who you are that you then try to convince everybody else is true. <laughs> we also see megalomania of various sorts. <laughs> so this is the science of the mode of goodness. Uh, and, and, and it's needed. And, and it says that in the mode of goodness you can see things in the right position, hear things in the right position, do things, and so on. And we have no, we have no cultivation of the mode of goodness anymore. It's all mode of passion. So this is Prabhupada's, what he brings to us. So that's the, the introduction to this, this uh, Bhagavatam, this science of, uh, of, uh, of, of self-realization. Now, we, we go to the texts themselves, and then Prabhupada also puts in the uh, a translation uh, of the Shishastika prayers of Lord Chaitanya at the end of that. A and that's the one that like we always we would recite it in the temple. You lived in the temples, you recited every morning and you memorized that translation of the Shishastika. And it wasn't until fairly late I realized that when Prabhupada's translation of the Chaitanya Charitamrita came out, 
The whole last chapter of the Chaitanya Charitamrita is Lord Chaitanya with his most intimate associates reciting the Shishastika prayers. And Prabhupada translated them differently then. There's a different translation. And also, he comments on them. And that was a big revelation for me because I had just gone on, you know, without... I read the... It just didn't dawn on me the first time I read the Chaitanya. This was a different translation. And most people kind of skip it. Oh, I already know this part. But, but actually, it's really, really important the tr translation and uh, the Prabhupada's uh, 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 what Lord Chaitanya says about it and Prabhupada's commentary on it. So that's there, by the way, from the, from the the, uh, the idea. And, and if I had my way, we would insert in the beginning of the Bhagavatam the this that the whole chapter practically of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So anyway, uh, the first one is the the uh, questions called the first uh, chapter is called questions by the sages uh, at Naimisharanya Forest, uh, and the first three texts, uh, the introductory texts, are the uh, are the the prelude to Srimad Bhagavatam. The story doesn't really begin until text four. So this is the, the, the prelude. And the first text, uh, again, it starts with Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. We, we say that when we, when we have Bhagavatam classes all the time, responsibly. And Prabhupada's commentary begins with this, commentary on this word Vasudeva. Uh, uh, but let me read the the whole text. Uh, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Janmadhyasya Yatonvaya Itaratas Charate Shabhikya Swarat Tene Brahmaridaya Adikavaye Bhuyanti Yatsuraya Tejo vari mridam yata vinimayo yatra trisar gumrisha damna swena sadana rasta kuhakam satyam varam dimahi. That's how, it's, how it goes in Sanskrit. And uh, the, the translation here O my Lord, Sri Krishna, son of Vasudeva, O all-pervading personality of Godhead, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. I meditate upon the Lord, upon Lord Sri Krishna, because He is the absolute truth and the primeval cause of all causes of the creation, sustenance, and destruction of the manifested universes. He is directly and indirectly conscious of all manifestations. And he is independent because there is no other cause beyond him. It is he only who first imparted the Vedic knowledge into the heart of Brahmaji, the original living being. By him, even the great sages and demigods are placed in illusion 
as one is bewildered by the illusory representation of water seen in fire or land seen on water. Only because of him do the material universes temporarily manifested by the reactions of the three modes of nature appear factual, although they are unreal. I therefore meditate upon him, Lord Sri Krishna, who is eternally existent in the transcendental abode, which is forever free from the illusory representations of the material world. I meditate upon him, for he is the absolute truth. One, one thing that you can see right away, if you want to really see the material world the way it really is, you have to see it through the eyes of Krishna. <laughs> uh, because it looks like it's independent. <laughs> but Ishavasham uh, midam sarvam, this whole world is pervaded and maintained by Ishavas. You have to see it in context. Uh, so this the first statement here, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Now this Vasudeva with the long A, uh, the son of Vasudeva is a patronymic. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the you know patronymic is like 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 Johnson, the son of John. <laughs> that name Johnson originally went Johnson, you know. That's a, a patronymic. And so in English, or the 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 MacDonald, the son of Mac, the son of Donald, the, the, that's also another patronymic. And in, in Russian they have them and all the line had so uh, so this this is and they're matronymics too, by the way. I mean uh, uh, so this is uh, this is his uh, uh, when Vasudev with his lo long a is the son of Vasudev, Krishna's father. When he appeared on earth, was named Vasudev, so he's Vasudeva, uh, the uh, the all-pervading personality of Godhead, uh, Bhagavata. Uh, uh, and Janma Adi, Janma etc. Etc. means birth, maintenance, and destruction. That all three of those those are understood. Uh, so it's that from which Janma Dasyataha, and you see that is the definition of absolute in, in the Vedanta Sutra. Uh, 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 begins like this. And remember, a sutra is a, a condensed. So knowledge was contained in sutra form. It was condensed. Like even the grammar is a sutra. The, 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 the way, like if you were a student in the olden days, uh, they would take a little five-year-old, mostly boys, I think, but uh, uh, when, they're, when they're like four or five years old and they start them in school 
And what they would do, the, the Sanskrit grammar was in sutra form. Uh, and they would simply chant the sutras. Because at the age of four or five, you can rem memorize everything and understand nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and so they take advantage of that capacity to remember that little children have. And as you get older, you forget more. <laughs> but, but, so they would just, just chant these. The, 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 it says you walk by a Brahminical village and you can hear the children chanting in, in their huts. It sounds like the croaking of frogs. It's an auspicious sound, you know, <laughs> that, that, that sound of the... So you would walk through the village, you could hear in the various places, you know, the, the boys are, are chanting these sutras. Uh, and they just remember them, and then they teach them how to unpack them. So they have the whole grammar in their head. You know, so sutras need unpacking, and therefore there's commentaries on the sutras. But it says that, it's, there's a Sanskrit saying that a grammarian rejoices at the saving of a, one syllable as he would at the birth of a son. <laughs> that's, that's like very auspicious to get rid of, the, you know, make them as condensed as possible. That's how, that's how it was done in that time. Because we think of writing as progress, but they think that you writing is no good. It's, we have it now, it's a crutch, because we've lost the power to remember. And that's why Vyasa wrote things down, because Kali Yuga is beginning, and people will lose the power of memory. Because our big modern myth is the myth of progress. Oh, look, and we celebrate the invention of writing. But the same complaint about writing you can find in Plato. Socrates says this is, this is not good. Uh, because he also came from a time where they remembered these things, you know, that, that you didn't know things. And there were also, people would do that. There was uh, there were mimnotic systems for people because also even when you had books they were rare you know because you had to write them and <laughs> copy them by hand and stuff and so and so people had systems what they were called memory palaces where they would take a whole area of knowledge and think of it uh, like in this room there's these things and see imagine the the things on the, this vase is this, and this picture is this. So they, they would have all these mnemonic systems for, for memorizing things. And then when I was in graduate school, somebody said, knowledge means knowing how to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> and now that we have these wonderful devices, these computers and everything, and Wikipedia and, you know, the internet, we know even less. If all our systems would fail, everybody would, what will I do now? <laughs> they don't teach it anymore. So we're going back to somewhat of the old way. <laughs> we Prabhupada bought books, but, but uh, he also wanted us to remember things and to memorize verses and to keep them in mind. And 
especially Bhagavad Gita is is easier to remember than Bhagavatam. Uh, uh, so I'm just uh, 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 yeah. I wanted to give you an idea of this I, uh, idea of the uh, how, how it worked in those days. Uh, so. Uh, Anyway, here we have the absolute truth, Janmadhyasya Yataha. Oh yeah, that that is the beginning of the Vedanta Sutra. Atato Brahma Gignasa. Now uh, uh, is the time the, the inquiry into Brahman. So, so it's just like Atta therefore atta, atato now therefore uh, inquiry, Brahma, uh, Brahma Dasya, Atato Brahma Gignasa. Gignasa is inquiry into Brahman. And then Janma Yataha, that defines Brahman, that from which everything comes. So Janma Yataha, you notice how it's, it's got this quotation actually from the Vedanta Sutra. Janma Yataha. Uh, and so, Janman uh, Adi Asya, of the manifested you, from Yataha, from which comes, from whom comes, uh, of this, of this manifested universe, just as of this, meaning the references of the universe, Janma Adi, the creation, that from which the universe comes, by whom it is maintained, and into whom it goes back in the end. So that's this Janma Dasyataha. And it refers to, and Prabhupada will comment on this, uh, refers to uh, Brahman. Uh, and he says here in the purport, obeisances unto the personality of Godhead Vasudeva, directly indicate Lord Sri Krishna, who is the divine son of Vasudevan Devaki. So that's the patronymic. This fact will be more explicitly explained later in the text of this work, when Sri Vyasadev directly asserts that Sri Krishna is the original personality of Godhead and all others are his direct or indirect plenary portions or portions of the portions. That's a reference uh, to the th third canto, third chapter of the first canto, excuse me, 1328. Uh, and this verse uh, uh, it referred to goes, Ete chamsa kala pumsam krishnas tu bhagavan swayam. Indrari, indrari vyakulam lokam mridayanti yuge yuge. So this verse comes where there has been, uh, and the chapter, this chapter is called Krishna is the source of all incarnations. So there's been a, a discussion of the different uh, 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 devas and and so on, and, in, and uh, avatars of the Lord. And that says, all these are amshas 
or kalas. Uh, amsha means a part, and a kala means a very small part. So Prabhupada calls them expand plenary portions or portions of the plenary portions. Uh, all of these are parts, or uh, but he uses the word plenary because they have power. Plenary means with full power. When you have a plenary session, that's when you see the word of, of uh, some committee, it means that it's an empowered committee. But Krishna himself, who occurs um, um, as an avatar, but he himself is Bhagavan Swayam. So Krishna is distinguished from all the different avatars who come. Krishna also is avatar. The word avatar means one who comes down, etymologically, a descendant. All these, Krishna appears among them, but he himself is not just one among them. He is Bhagavan Swayam. And all of these uh, come down, what they do when they come down, there is the enemies of Indra, known as the demons. Again, this is a refer to the fact that, that the Bhagavatam describes a kind of long-lasting cosmic interplanetary warfare <laughs> between the devas and the asuras, the, the gods and the demons. They fight each other. There's a is going on. If you like science fiction, here it is. <laughs> this implanted cosmic story of good against evil, you know. <laughs> and because the demons are very powerful and cunning and the devotees are nice guys, they tend to lose out and so Krishna comes down periodically to help them out. Either comes himself or sends somebody to <laughs> to tilt the balance, <laughs> uh, um, so he gives protection. Vidayanti yuge yuge yuga after yuga. Uh, all of the above mentioned incarnations are either plenary portions or portions of the plenary portions of the Lord. But Lord Sri Krishna is the original personality of Godhead. All of them appear on planets whenever there is disturbance created by the atheists, the Lord incarnates to protect the devotees. And we'll discuss, this is, uh, according to Jiva Goswami, the, of the Bhagavatam, what's called the Paribhasha, Paribhasha Sutra, that text of which all of the texts are explained by. It's, the, uh, it's a special text and it has the indication it's not just arbitrarily said this way but it's the Paribhasha Sutra and we'll take up uh, a little bit about that also uh, next class <laughs> all right we'll stop here <laughs> we got a little bit into it <laughs> so now questions or comments Here's a question from Ratnabhushana Bhushana. He says, Hare Krishna Gurudev, kindly accept my humble obeisance. Mm -hmm. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. First off, my sincere compliments on your successful completion of the 11th and 12th cantons of Bhagavatam <laughs> and the commencement of the first. Looking much forward to the upcoming classes. As for my question, it relates to the Shikshastaka prayers, more specifically to verses or verse 4 and 5. 
In verse 4, we read how Lord Chaitanya rejects all worldly aspiration, including the desire for liberation. In the subsequent verse, we then read how Mahaprabhu speaks of having fallen into the stormy ocean of material existence and praying to be situated as a particle of dust at Krishna's lotus feet. You have mentioned that there is a progressive sequence among the eight verses of, sh of the Shikshasana. Mm -hmm. With that in mind, could you comment on how we are to understand Lord Chaitanya's prayer to be lifted out of the rough ocean of material existence when he has already denounced the very desire for liberation in the previous verse? Thank mm -hmm. you very much. Uh, it, it's, it's an expression of, uh, as a devotee, of this sense of hopelessness, and of being able to unsave yourself, but to be saved by Krishna. Ainanda chanuja kinkaram patitamam vishameva kripaya tabapara pankaja. You please lift me up. I cannot lift myself up. You please uh, lift me up uh, from him. So here he, you know, completely addresses uh, the son of. It says Nanda Tanuja, uh, Anuja born from Nanda. And that's a particularly intimate sort of, uh, when, you, when Krishna is addressed with the name of his devotees, it's particularly appreciated by him. So he's Nanda Tanuja. Uh, 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 and uh, you, you uh, and I have fallen. I'm hopeless, I'm helpless. It's so it's uh, as you go through the Shishastika prayers, you find that humility increases on and on and on. So it's telling how to be a devotee. And one thing we don't learn about is humility, where you're supposed to be proud of yourself, right? Teach people to be proud and, and, and all this other stuff. So. Uh, but 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 uh, we're on the path of humility, and Lord Chaitanya is tasting that path. He's seeing what it's like to be a devotee, and he thinks God Himself thinks it's better to be a devotee than to be God. <laughs> he appreciates his devotees so much <laughs> that he wants to take that role. Uh, and by so doing, also show what it's like, you know, uh, uh, how to do it, set the example. But he himself wants to. And it's particularly, he's thinking of Srimati Radharani. As his exemplary devotee wants to understand her. And he, he thinks that she feels more bliss than he does. How can it be I'm the supreme enjoyer, yet I see my devotees because of what they feel about me, they feel more blessed than I do. I, I don't want to be left out. <laughs> so he, he wants to, he take, takes on that role and shows us how, how to do it. So now here's this beginning of this, the, the uh, real expressions of this humility. Uh, and, and so that's why it's actually, you know, uh, and it uh, progressive in this way. Just a quick comment on that: if um, how God wants to be a devotee, and that's uh, that also 
points to why it's so important for us or so helpful to our own Krishna consciousness to serve other devotees mm-hmm. because that's actually what pleases Krishna, Krishna the most mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is serving his own devotees. Um, Vijay Krishna Prabhu has a question. He says, related to the introduction where I find the ultimate source of all energies, Krishna doesn't force me to love him. And if I choose to not love him, the only alternative for me, being an eternal living entity, is to inhabit the material world where complete forgetfulness of Krishna is possible. My question is, what about forcing me to exist? I am his part and parcel, and because of being his part and parcel, I have no alternative other than to accept existence by force of the circumstance, which is being part and parcel of an eternal being. If I choose not to exist, is it that the possibility of non-existence is available? I do not remember asking God to become his part and parcel. Does Krishna have the right to make me his part and parcel without previous consultation? Because you're eternal. You're, 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 you know, when there's Krishna and then there's Krishna's energies and one of those energies are, are the jivas. And, and, uh, he can give you oblivion for his, you know, you won't know you're a part and parcel because you'll be like some, you know, little squiggle of life somewhere and crawling across a ocean bottom or something, you know. You don't know. So, uh, uh, you are eternal. Uh, and if you don't want to be, uh, you can uh, be uh, some living being with the dimmest amount of uh, uh, of, of consciousness. You, you, you know, you're like a, a deep, dreamless sleep for on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Now, a sleeping person has no self-awareness, but uh, if you're in deep, dreamless sleep, but but uh, you're there, barely. <laughs> So that he can give you all that for a, a very, very long time, but you're eternal. Suicide, total suicide, you know, is not possible. I mean, I mean, when you want to enter into Brahman or enter into the void, like the Buddhist, you know, that's a kind of a spiritual suicide. Prabhupada refers it to that. That's what they're looking for. But you don't, you don't. Uh, I mean, the word nirvana means extinguish. You know, you get extinguished. But we understand it's extinction of material existence. Vijay Krishna Prabhu also asks, related to the first verse where I find the synonym Namaha offering my obeisances, Lord Chaitanya's movement, in my humble understanding, has nothing to do with offering obeisances because it leads us to a spiritual situation where, like you usually say, we can experience the private life of God, where we find his associates dealing with him with all kinds of irreverence. My question is, being a follower of Lord Chaitanya's movement, is there any need for me to offer obeisances? To whom? If you want to be part of Lord Chaitanya's movement, you offer obeisances all over the place. 
in Lord Chaitanya's Leela, um, Shivananda Sane offered obeisances to his dog <laughs> because the dog, <laughs> he was attached to the dog in any way. When he, the dog disappeared and he was really upset and, and an attachment to dogs, of course, is becoming more and more prominent in our place. So he, Sevananda Sane had a dog. And then, then he, uh, when he f finally arrived, he was on the way, he lost it on the way to, to Jagannath Puri to see Lord Chaitanya. And when he arrived, he saw that, that the dog was there with Lord Chaitanya. And Lord Chaitanya was throwing at him some pieces of coconut pulp that the dog was eating as prasadam. And so when he saw that the dog was eating prasadam from the hand of Lord Chaitanya, he offered his obeisances to the dog. And then they didn't see the dog again because the dog had attained his spiritual existence because of eating Lord Chaitanya's remnants directly. <laughs> but he, he offered obeisances to his dog. So go ahead, if you have a dog like that, <laughs> you, can, you can do it. So, uh, again, this is the path of humility, and even Lord Chaitanya himself, uh, because, you know, if, if you want to be a devotee, as humility increases, love for Krishna uh, increases. People have a criticized, like Frederick Nietzsche, the philosopher, criticized devotee, the slave mentality, you know, this humility. And... Uh, People are always telling you to be proud of who you are, proud of this, proud of that. But, but, and then so people think there's some kind of psychosis or something involved that people are seeking out humility. But the reason people seek out humility who are devotees it is, be, it is because uh, love of God increases. And actually, when you see somebody who's actually humble, it's, 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 it's quite attractive. And because you may see these people who are very humble, but you think they're great people. They've done all these great things. But they, you know, they think, well, I didn't do it. Uh, somebody empowered me or somebody made it possible. Or They thank other people more. They feel gratitude to other people that helped them, even, even if it's something mundane. And that's a very attractive to see somebody... Uh, and the opposite, somebody's absolutely scum, and but they're very proud. It's not so attractive. <laughs> the opposite in the way. So we have some instinct that it's it's actually a, a very good quality. I also like what you often say that humility is just realism. Yeah. Uh huh. But it's different from low self-esteem. You know. Low self-esteem is you feel humble and you can't stand it because you want to be big. <laughs> you know, but, so, uh, is, 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 uh, low self-esteem is uh, thwarted pride. And, uh, and so you're angry about it or angry at somebody or angry at yourself or whatever. Pradhana Gopika asks, she says, Hare Krishna, dear Guru Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisances. Oh, glory to Srila Prabhupada. 
You mentioned that by chanting Hare Krishna, Raja and Tamaguna decrease. Why does Krishna speak in Bhagavad Gita 14.1 about the gunas as supreme wisdom and the best of all knowledge? Is it because of without developing sattva guna, it's impossible to surrender to Krishna? Yeah, I think that's one good reason. Uh-huh. Uh, you, first of all, let you learn know about, about the cosmos anyway. But also in ourselves, we have to be able to see these modes, see how they work, understand how they're working, and learn how to deal with them. Uh, and uh, uh, and you can understand a lot about other people too, <laughs> about about the modes of what is their standard of advancement? Their the standard of advancement of most people. That said, is the standard of the mode of passion, uh, uh, and, uh, and and so it just lets you understand uh, a lot about the, the the human world around you, uh, and uh, uh, you should we should do those things that help increase the mode of. Uh, and how, how can you become free from the modes? Well, you know, ju- just by, by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, while trying to become free from offenses, uh, just that, that's called Namabhasa. It's not, the pure name is not visible, but a kind of reflection of the pure name by, by chanting on the clearing stage. And that gives liberation even. And then the pure name gives love of God. So one, one c- can see that ha- am I, am I uh, chanting while trying to give up offenses? Uh, a- a- and uh, you should see that these modes of passion, which you can very easily identify. I've even made a big chart <laughs> from various places describing the the, the 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 modes so you can see them and and understand them because it's and it's like clinical uh, the the sense you you can identify them and you can understand what you need to do to become free from the modes and remember that the result of the mode of goodness is happiness. Uh, the result mode of passion is uh, misery, and the remote of the mode of ignorance is uh, stupidity and oblivion. Uh, so this this is what you, you is, yes, it's quite it's quite, and we have we have a method that actually works. And you're dealing with your mind. I mean, the, the other thing is, is the mind. There's a prayer, you know, my mind, you're not a Vaishnava. <laughs> uh, when, when we have taken birth, our subtle body has come with us from the previous existence. In other words, we brought it with us. The soul, we, we have taken birth because we're still in a subtle body and it's coming with us from the last subtle body, the last body we are in. And therefore, you know, 
you have personality from the very beginning, practically, you can tell immediately. If you have little children, you know, they're, they're born with personalities and likes and dislikes, and that's all in the subtle body. But the thing is, we don't know what's in there. I mean, we even brought it along with us. God knows, you know, all of a sudden, like, weird things have come up and things you want or don't want or urges or aversions or attractions that are there. What are they? You know, where do they come from? You don't know what's in there. So, so the whole yoga system is really dealing with the subtle body, dealing with, with, with the, well, the mind and, and, uh, and to purify the mind is really hard. And most people don't, don't even know how to deal with it. You have to have some discipline, you know. You can't be completely filled with attention deficit disorder <laughs> and, and so on. But uh, there's very little to, to discourage, uh, to, to actually, you know, for the form formation of a, of, 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 of a, a mind that's, that's helpful. We can do that. And remember, whatever progress you make uh, using the human form of life for spiritual advancement, even if you don't get all the way, your next life you don't begin at zero. It's, so that sense it's good there's some carryover and you can pick up where you left off. I just had a question about uh, Asuras and um, this like concept of anartas and how you know now you know Krishna was on the planet and the demons were outside of us and now they're within us and I'm just wondering about the other asuras um, that Indra had problems with where where do they exist in our world asurya namate loke they 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 are planets of where of there are asuras they're called lower planets uh, you have to remember that that the devas uh, have subtle bodies. They they have bodies of mind, you might say. You know, they the devas are like that. The the devas uh, are kind of like the nervous system of the universe. But there's also the asuras who have similar kinds of of uh, of existence. And uh, the anti-gods, you know, and uh, and so every so often they come up, you know, they erupt and take over. There's a battle, and uh, and uh, uh, so uh, uh, and you know, in, in the human form of life, you see some some people who are under the influence of one or the other, the godly or the ungodly. Uh, that that are like that. Uh, uh, so so this is this is our situation. We're in Middle Earth, <laughs> <laughs> battleground Earth, <laughs> even uh, so to speak. The the, the 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 human life and the human planets is the, having to deal with them. You know, uh, so we can go up or we can go down. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know what that helps. No, no, not at all, huh?
Bhaktin Pala asks, relating to sadhana and chanting Hare Krishna, I seem to remember Bhaktivinoda Thakur gave an order of priority with health first, then sadhana, then family, then seva. Is this correct? Sometimes it seems like a vicious circle as well, with the modes affecting our mental and physical health, making it more difficult to chant. Can you please comment? Uh, yeah, well, if, if you want anything uh, material that's okay to want is a healthy body. <laughs> uh, health helps. <laughs> uh, uh, so you can ask for that if you want to have help to help you so you can perform devotional service. It's perfectly all right to ask for that, you know. Uh, uh, that's okay. Uh, and that's what that's what he's he's uh, uh, I think he's talking about. And, and and Prabhupada also wanted us to be healthy. Actually, the mode of goodness helps you be healthy. By the way, that's a side effect of the mode of goodness is you tend to be healthy. I mean, you don't eat unhealthy things. You don't live in unhealthy places. You you know you don't engage in unhealthy activities. You know, so a lot of disease, I mean, there's just normal part of aging and, you know, things fall apart, but a lot of diseases are uh, caused by unhealthy things. And then there's the other thing. Do you know this word, iatrogenetic diseases? Diseases caused by medical treatment. Iatros is the Greek word for physician. <laughs> iatrogenetic <laughs> Disease is caused by doctors, <laughs> so be careful. <laughs> and one more, uh, Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu, he says, Gurudev, please assign my obeisances. I recall a statement that I thought you made regarding as Asuras, but I can't find the recording. The demons, this is the quote that he thinks that you said, the demons want darkness, but they want it to shine. <laughs> Does this sound like a statement that you made? I don't remember making it, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's okay. They do want it to shine, uh huh? Okay. Anything else? All right. So we'll continue now with Srimad Bhagavatam one one one. Thank you very much, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.